Our scripture reading from today comes from John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here this morning. My name is... Dave, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's just good to be getting back kind of into the flow of things. We've had a chance to hear from a number of different people over the last couple of months, and it's just been great to to get to hear God's word preached through, um, again, a number of different folks, and we're blessed, um, uh, yeah, to to have that. And then I'm I'm glad to kind of get back in. Someone used the phrase this week, get back in this paddle, Um, so... Um, so yeah, I guess that's what we're doing here. Um, I don't know if I introduced myself. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and um, I'm an elder, and uh, I get to lead and typically do the bulk of the preaching. Um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I do want to let you know I have a stutter. It'll kind of come in and out as, as we go, and I just want to give you all a, a heads up on that. And um, we're going to get into our time here pretty quickly, because while we read one verse there, um, this morning, we have a lot. So I'll introduce the, where we're going here in a bit. But first, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 13. And if you want to kind of plan ahead, you can go to John 18 as well. We're going to be jumping back between John 13 and John 18 quite a bit. And um, if you don't have a, a copy of God's Word with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one, all right? want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word to follow along with. E- En español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ninguna Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en um, el libro de Juan, capítulo uh, 13 y 18. Um, so again, this is a gift to you, okay? Please keep this and uh, put your name in it and ask questions and things like that. So um, let's go ahead and pray, all right, as we get into our time together in God's Word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your story. And um, as we talked about, as we approach um, next week, Holy Week, and we are in this season that comes around every year that has, yeah, the, here in Tucson, the temperatures get warmer and, you know, the days get longer and kind of people get out. We kind of get back into exercise or whatever, routines and we know the Masters happens every year, golf and things like that, but most significantly, the, um, the climactic arc of the story of the world and Jesus' death and re- re- resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray that right now we would enter into and kind of find our place in that story, in your story, and, Lord, that you would lead us to clearer understanding of the significance of Jesus and his work, his life, his death, his victorious r- resurrection from the dead. And Lord, from there specifically, what that means for us as individuals, and then what that means for us is participating in your work. So we pray these things. We ask for your Holy Spirit to oversee our time. Lord, we acknowledge that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. 
Lord, we pray and acknowledge that our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts are weak. That doesn't define us. That doesn't necessarily endure forever. In fact, the opposite, it kind of comes and goes. But Lord, you endure forever and your word endures forever. And so we pray that we as individuals and as a church would be anchored in your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in, uh, in 1974, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who was alive in 1974, but in 1974, um, this, this historic event took place, and it's um, known as the rumble in the jungle. And if you've ever heard of Muhammad Ali or George Foreman, that was not always a grill that you could plug into an outlet and uh, grill in your kitchen, um, George Foreman, but he was actually a boxer. He was an up-and-coming boxer, and Muhammad Ali had been the champion, the greatest the world had ever seen, and then because of all kinds of things going on in politics and different stuff, he was forced to take a time out and um, right, sit in a corner. And in that time, George Foreman came up and he was this young guy from the South. He'd wear like overalls and no shirt under it. He, so he did that before LL Cool J and myself. I actually used to kind of rock that look too. <laughs> I didn't pull it off nearly as well. But George Foreman was kind of seen as this like kind of country boy. And he was younger and he had come on the scene. And then Muhammad Ali was coming back on the scene and a lot of people wonder like how's this going to go about like what's going to happen here this kind of clash of titans and um, there's an incredible documentary that came out in the late 90s called When We Were Kings and I got to watch that actually in the loft St. Peter um, and, uh, and it's this incredible documentary and it builds up and something though that, uh, this phrase that some of you may have heard came from that time. And it's called um, Hope-A-Dope. And it's when Muhammad Ali um, basically knew that this young, kind of full of fire boxer would just go all out. And so he did this thing. And there's some people claim controversy and whatever, things like that. But basically, he wore George Foreman down. He leaned back into the ropes and let George Foreman just wear himself out over the course of a number of rounds so that by the end, when Muhammad Ali kind of came off the ropes and started to fight back, um, George Foreman couldn't hang. He was exhausted. He was worn out. And at the time, it looked like Ali was just getting whooped. And like he, like he couldn't last. And yet he did. He, he had a plan and he stuck to it and he won. And I'm not going to go with who likes who and whatever. And you can say, think whatever you want about Ali, whatever. But there was a genius at play there in that, in that, in that match, in that, in that scene there that he stayed true to the end. And he knew what he was doing. And most people watching didn't know. In fact, it's called the Rung. Humble in the jungle because it took place in what was then called Zaire, is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And Ali was beloved, and, and, and yet a lot of most of the people there watching thought, oh no, hope is lost. Like this is our champion. This is the people's champion. He's coming back, and all that he represents, and now he's about to lose. And I don't think he like looked at the crowd and winked or something, right? If I was making a video, I would have had that, something like that happen, right? But but he won, ultimately. And that really is a picture of what that verse that Sarah, or yeah, Sarah, we had two Sarahs up here weeding this morning, that Sarah Grace read this morning from John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover over, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. At the point of apparent defeat, Jesus loved to the end. He was victorious in what seemed like defeat. And so where we're headed this morning, all right, where I want to kind of set the tone for us, because as we enter into this time, as I said, we're going to read a number of different scriptures. This is where we're going, right? And this is where I really want us to be, um, even actually Sarah Lewittekanen, Name's always a struggle. I've known her for years. Good friend. Um, Sarah led us through this, this time this morning, right, in the call to worship. And she told me at the beginning that she was expecting for what God would do through his word this morning. And I told her, well, that makes one of us. No, I, I'm, um, <laughs> but I'm expectant. But there's honestly, there's a sense of like, God, what are you going to do here this morning? And, and honestly, I, the, the spirit really is, is leading me this morning through this time of worship, even of coming together and, you know, some of the minor keys, some of the kind of lower, lower tone, right? You want, even during the confession, I don't know if you noticed, we took a really long time, right, in that time of confession. And Stephen walked us through a three-part confession of just sitting in the reality of, 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 of depravity, of sin, of what's been called the fall or more appropriately, the rebellion, right? Where we All like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. We've rebelled against our creator, God, and the effects of sin are so rampant in ourselves, in the culture around us, in our church, and we're longing to get out of that, right? We're going for like, come on, get to assurance already, right? Like we've been in this long enough. I want to stand. I want to feel. I want to raise my hands. I want to just, you know, live in that, and that's appropriate, and there's a time for that, but as I said earlier, um, in order to understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead sometimes we need to not just hurry through the brokenness so this morning as we look at Jesus and we look at this reality that he loved to the end that he was victorious in the face of apparent defeat what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different characters okay true characters this morning we're going to look at Peter one of Jesus's disciples one of his followers we're going to look at Judas all right, we're going to see Judas, right, who was also one of Jesus' followers who, as we know, um, betrayed Jesus. And then we're going to look at Pilate, who was a religious, or not really religious, a political authority who had power and privilege and prestige. And as you see there, Peter is self-reliant. Judas is unfaithful. Pilate is proud. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at them, though we're tempted to sit on our high horse right now and look at kind of his history and, and dissect these guys and where they all got it wrong. What we're actually going to do is we're going to kind of hold up the mirror and see ourselves and Peter and Judas and Pilate. And then, and then presiding over all that in light of our unfaithfulness, in light of our self-reliance, in light of our pride, we see that our good news and our hope is not in trying to not be like these guys, but recognizing where we are. Where we tend to reside like these three. And yet above that, we see that Jesus is faithful, selfless, and loving because he is supremely confident in the ultimate power of the gospel. In the plan of salvation and victory. Even in the face of apparent defeat. So with that, Let's again pick up here in 13 and first look at self-reliance. 
at Peter. And again, the goal is not to say don't be like Peter. The goal is to see where we are like him and that that would result in ultimately revealing Jesus and his steadfast love. And that would lead us to confession and repentance and worship and joy and hope. Which again, we just want to skip ahead to. And instead, we need to take the path of God revealing that he's actually the only hope, the only way. So with that, we start out here, we look at Peter. Pick up with me in verse 6 here. So this is, okay, Jesus is, has just, is washing his disciples' feet. And Peter's posture in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter. Okay, so Jesus came to him to wash his feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's essentially saying, don't wash my feet. All right, and then Jesus answers him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I did not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter's posture of self-reliance here, Peter's still, and all he's seen, he's gotten rebuked by Jesus. He's seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles. He's seen Jesus reveal who he is. In fact, even Peter said, you are the son of God, the most high, right? He, 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 he proclaimed who Jesus is, yet he still didn't get it because he still had this idea of, hey, Jesus, I'm right there with you. Like, you're 1A, I'm 1B, right? And I'm, I'm gonna work myself up to being right there with you. I'm gonna impress you. I don't really need you to wash me. Don't humble yourself and do this like it's uncomfortable all right I, I'm good I got this and and then Jesus right says no you need me to wash you or else you um you you uh you you have no place with me and then later he goes on Simon Peter says in 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 um in verse 36 through 38 there he talks about his uh about his um about what he's gonna do for Jesus Okay, Jesus talks about how he's going to be betrayed, how he's going to be alone. And Peter's like, no, 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 you don't understand, right? I'm going to prove you wrong. You don't understand what a, what a contribution I am to your kingdom, to your plan. How lucky you are, God, to have me. All right, hopefully as I'm saying this, some of us are thinking, man, that's like I'm embarrassed when I read journal entries from years past, like in my college years or things like that, that just how lucky God was to have me, right, serving him. And how we can just slip into this and, and be in this place and just declare what we're going to do for God, right? God, I'm going to go out and get some people saved. I'm going to go out and make you proud. I'm going to go out and convict all the sinners who need to be, who need to be rebuked. Thank God, well, kind of thank me, um, of how much I really know your word and all these fools that don't, right? I'm going to set them straight. And Peter says something along those lines in verse 36 of chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. There's kind of a bravado, right, that Peter has. I've shared this story before, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But, man, as I read this, I am, again, embarrassed. It's kind of that uncomfort 
the uncomfortable feeling is I remember when I was a sophomore in high school and I was in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I was the kid that like parents would let their kids stay out all night if they knew I was with them, you know, and they would like rub my head and, you know, pat me and just be like, this is, man, I, you know, you're, so, I'm so thankful you're my kid's friend. And I kind of had that posture. And I remember as kids were, you know, smoking weed and drinking and stuff. And I just remember this bold declaration of like, I will never do that. Man, again, just my, my faith I really took for granted and even saw it as something I had control of. And fast forward to about a year later when I moved out here to right for, forsaken country of Tucson. I lived in the south before that. I move out here to Tucson. It's not the Bible Belt anymore. And um, again, fast forward through all kinds of different things that resulted in me on my way down from Mount Lemmon having gotten caught by the Border Patrol for smoking weed. And, and, and I just, God, like, it just wrecked me with, like, yeah, how, how are you doing right now with, uh, you know, impressing me with your faith? How's that going? And, and that has led me to just this, 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 again, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm a little quicker to recognize when I just make these bold declarations of how, of how much God should really entrust to me, right? And so Peter made this bold declaration, and yet Jesus um, says, hey, you're actually going to deny me. And then skip ahead here to, um, to, to verse, um, just skip ahead actually to verse 25 of chapter 18. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, so earlier, Peter, again, tried to take matters into his own hands, and he had this really momentary boldness where he pulls out a sword and rips off someone's ear, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you to trust me? Right? And so, right, Peter had a moment. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like you're driving in traffic, and someone cuts you off, and your adrenaline pumps, and all of a sudden, you're like, pull over, and they actually pull over, and it's like, oh, shoot, no, what am I, right? Like, kind of wisdom takes over, and this big old construction worker gets out, and you're like, dude, my little Prius right now, like, I kind of forgot who I am, and um, this guy's got a crowbar, and I've got, like, I don't know, craft coffee, <laughs> like, you know, this isn't going to go well. Like, it's kind of like that, right? Peter, in the moment, takes over, and then he's, like, reminded, oh, shoot, like, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And as we just read there, right, the rooster crowed and reminded Peter he had just denied Jesus. His self-reliance, as is always the case, eventually wears out. So as we look at Peter here, we see that He thinks he's doing something for God. And Jesus reveals to him, no, 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 that's hopeless. Your self-reliance will not fulfill you. It will not last. You're going to wear out. Your gas tank is going to run out on empty. And there's actually a giant hole in that tank. And it's running out quickly. But I need to wash you. I don't need you to just stay to 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 try to pull out swords and, and declare just how strong you are. No, I need you to understand your weakness and then in that to see my faithfulness. And that to see again in chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus remains true all the way to the end. And so as we sit, hopefully the mirror is reflected on us a bit where we see our bold declarations, right? Perhaps 
you're in this place right now where you're, you're, you've been, you're holding on strong, right? It's like you're trying to grasp water in your hands, right? You're trying to live the life God's calling you to live. You're trying to be the best husband you can be, the best mom you can be. You're trying to, you're trying to do all the right things, but you just, you feel it just dripping out of your hands, and God's main message is not, hey, try harder. Be more self-reliant. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps more. It's recognize, hey, I've washed you. I've remained faithful. So now trust in me. And we see Jesus again as a stark contrast to Peter's self-reliance, his empty and foolish and ultimately cowardly self-reliance. Jesus is faithful because he's supremely confident in the power of the gospel that he is ushering in, the good news that he is bringing to bear. And then now we turn to Judas, and he's unfaithful. He's selfish and deceiving and destructive, right? And that would probably be something that we would all be like, yeah, 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 that's Judas, right? Let's all sit up in our ivory towers and look at Judas. All right, look here at Judas in... um, In uh, chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then verse 22, all his disciples look at each other and they're uncertain all this. In this moment here, Jesus is reaching out to Judas. Okay, there's an eye contact. There's a grief in Jesus' spirit. He's calling out to Judas, and yet Judas is in such a place of unfaithfulness, of lack of trust, that that he just, he doesn't see it, he doesn't respond, he doesn't see Jesus' pursuing love for what, what it is, right? And we know, most of us probably know some of the story here, right, that Judas ultimately betrays him. Look over in verse 18, or in chapter 18 with me real quick in um, verse, verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed Jesus, also knew the place. That's the place where they were in the garden. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, now catch this, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, and then Jesus came forward and presented himself. But we often miss that, right? Judas put this whole thing together. Judas procured it. Judas um, set into motion this plan of deceiving Jesus, of turning on Jesus, of how Jesus would be handed over to these soldiers. And who's Judas? It's really easier for us right now to look again from our historical high road and just be like, yeah, Judas, right? Even in videos, he's always kind of portrayed as like, he's got a little dark, uh, like a goatee, you know, and... um, probably like a receding hairline or something. He's like kind of, you know, hey, I'm right there with you, all right? No, no, uh, no shame in that, amen? Um, right, but he's kind of like, like sneaky and that, and we just, we look at Judas like, yeah, that's, you know, he's the bad guy. But who's Judas, right? Look at it maybe through a different lens there, thinking of having procured this group, this band of soldiers, Judas is you and me. If you were here last week, and I'll just kind of quickly recap, you forgot. Judas is the people 
that don't trust what we heard last week, right? That the way to life is through death, is, is through trusting God's sovereignty and his plan, his work, and his being in this place where, where, where we feel like we've got to take control, where, where we, we don't understand that God is going to meet our needs ultimately, that God is going to one day raise from the dead. And that as he is marching his way toward the cross and he says, listen, if you want to participate in my glory, in my kingdom, in my re- resurrection, in my life, in my hope, in my healing, you need to die. I'm going to die for you and you need to trust that that death is sufficient and that as on your way to resurrection with me, that's going to result in a series, a lifetime of deaths. Of the world saying, this is where life is found. And everything in your gut is saying, yeah, that's right. That's where I find life and affirmation and control and approval and comfort and power. It's in these things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's in dying to those things. And you're, you're tempted and you're, and you're wanting to go that way. And who is Judas? He's the one who says, man, this path of faith is really wearing out right now. I think I better take matters into my own hands. This might be a little bit provocative, but who is Judas? He's the one who grabs the American dream by the horns and says, I'm going to make it meet all my needs. I'm going to find comfort and security. I'm going to skip over the life of faith that Christ is calling me into that really uncomfortable trust where I don't know what's around the corner, but I'm going to continue to follow him and obey him. I'm going to usurp his way, right? And, and I don't need to probably draw the, the, to connect the dots too much for you and your story. But again, in this moment, I, I, I want to hold up the mirror before all of us to see where is it that I'm seeking the path of least resistance, that results in betraying Jesus. We say, well, I didn't sell out Jesus for a bunch of silver and, you know, well, maybe. Right, where, where am I betraying Jesus in the sense that I say, Jesus, your way isn't sufficient. Your way isn't gonna ultimately lead to life. I don't really trust you. Right, we don't say that with our words, right? But how much of our lives reflect that's our functional belief. And it's uncomfortable to admit, but we don't often enough recognize Judas in us. Okay, this message is not don't be like Jesus, don't be like Judas, just be like Jesus. It's recognize where you and I are like Judas. The ways that, that, that functionally, practically, our lives reflect, we are Judas. We don't trust Jesus. We betray Jesus. We look for life and avoid death. We don't follow the path that he is paving, that he's calling us into. We don't choose faith. We choose control. And in that moment, right, sit there for a moment and yet recognize that Jesus is faithful. That Jesus doesn't say, I'm only going to love you if you kind of are right there with me. No, we look at Peter and see that he denied Jesus and yet Jesus loved to the end. That Judas betrayed Jesus and was unfaithful and yet Jesus remained faithful all the way to the end. And then finally we look at Pilate who had foolish pride. He's proud, he's dismissive. He's insecure. 
Picking back up in chapter 18, uh, we'll read verse 37, where we get to know this character, Pilate, a bit more. Again, he's a, he's a, he's a political authority. Okay, picture like a boss, a CEO. He's the head of the athletic department, right? He's, he's someone that has all the power. He's the NCAA, right? He has all the power. All right, we know, we know where we are. We know what's going on with our school and our city, and we pray for it and grieve and weep maybe. Hey, hey, WNIT champions, right? Women, hey. There it is. See, there's a little hope and joy in the middle of trial. Okay, I was, uh, wish I could have been there. No, a couple folks were. That's it. Let's get back to Pilate. All right. So Pilate, the NCAA. No. So Pilate said to him, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said, what is the truth? And we know that earlier in John, Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, and yet Pilate is kind of inter- interacting with Jesus in this way. This is kind of an evangelistic conversation. And this is, um, this is Pilate being like, all right, but what about dinosaurs, right? Okay, okay, so you say that, um, that, that, I, that, that you're a king and um, I'm, I'm in this place and you're calling me to faith right now and Jesus is bringing him along somewhere and then he finally just hits the eject button. He's like, yeah, yeah, but what about, what about this, right? What about the Crusades? What about, you know, whatever, the Ark? Let's go. And it's just kind of this, it's a diversion. And yet Jesus is faithful and, and confident and steadfast. And he's not entering into all these places that Pilate's trying to take him. And yet Pilate, who from the audience's perspective has all the power, all the authority. And yet as, as time goes on, we see that his pride and his dismissiveness is actually a result of incredible insecurity. The, the, in contrast, Jesus, picture this, okay? Jesus is sitting there with his hands behind his back, shackled, right? He is, he is sitting there seemingly in a place of incredible vulnerability and weakness, and yet he is confident and strong and unwavering. And Pilate's the one squirming. And so as he continues here to interact with Jesus in Jesus' humble, attentive, bold confidence, Jesus says some things to him. So Pilate is, is afraid of Jesus and he's getting more, more afraid. And so he hears about this in chapter 19. So jump over there. Pilate is hearing about Jesus and he's worried, he's scared. So he sends him out to go get flogged. In chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. So he's having this interaction with Jesus. Jesus is presenting himself, again, steadfast, glorious, powerful. And yet Pilate is so insecure, he's so worried, he sends him out. And Jesus now, again, just, we don't have time to flesh out. Again, on Good Friday, we will sit in the reality of what Jesus faced in his trial. He's punched, he's mocked, he's unjustly treated. Imagine the pain, right? Like, I don't know about you, when I hit my thumb with a hammer or, you know, shut a door in my hand or something like that, I get mad. 
I kind of get taken to a different place. And yet Jesus remains confident and true and present all the way to the end. And so that happened before his next interaction with Pilate. So picking up in verse 9 here, Pilate interacts with Jesus again. So he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Okay, this is after his first interaction with Jesus. He sends Jesus out to go get jumped and beat up and bloodied and whipped with this horrible whip, a cat of nine tails. It had glass and bone and different things. It would rip your flesh apart. Okay, like enter into this story here. And yet Pilate has this pride. And so he says to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. He didn't answer this fool according to his folly, as Proverbs said. But then Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? In verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Listen, Pilate, you don't understand all your power and authority. I don't quiver in your presence because I know where your power comes from. Okay, Jesus is so confident in the will of the Father. He's so confident in submitting to the will of the Father and trusting the ultimate power of the gospel, again, which Jesus is ushering in. But for us to sit in this moment where Jesus is bringing the gospel about, how easy would it be to quiver in the face of Pilate. Now Jesus is sitting there with his hands behind his back, likely his shirt ripped or completely torn off, right? He's not yet fully naked, but on his way there, he's bloodied. He's got that like iron taste in his mouth, you know, when you get a bloody nose. He's got it like dripping down his face into his mouth. He's sweating. He's dirty. And yet he has such profound confidence and steadfastness in that moment. And again, we look at, we, we want to sit removed, right? Oh, well, Pilate is this, right? Pilate's the NCAA, and that's a joke, right? But we pick, we pick someone else, and Jesus is this. No, but right, we need to see the mirror reflected on ourselves. Where are we like Pilate? Where do we interact with Jesus in such a way that we, put, we think he's the one on trial, Right, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't say this to be like evangelistic abuse, you know, which sometimes happens, or to sit in any, I say this right with you. Okay, humbled, even in this moment though, of recognizing, God, how often do I shake my fists at you and think you're the one on trial? How often do I sit there in, 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 in light of your glory and your power and I forget that, that you could do whatever you want, you want and yet you allow me to wrestle through my doubt. And in love right now, hear me, look at me, I want you to understand okay, that, that God is big enough that he allows you to sit in the place of Pilate and to put him on trial. Okay, but he also died for you. And he also rose victoriously from the dead. And he right now sits on the throne. And one day all of us will stand before him in his power and his glory. And unless we have put our faith in him, unless we have trusted in his work on our behalf, 
the tables will turn. He will not stand trial. You and I will. And our only hope is in the fact that while you and I are like Peter and Judas and Pilate, while we're proud and self-reliant, we're unfaithful, we're arrogant, he remains steadfast. He remains faithful. He remains selfless. He remains loving because of his supreme confidence and the ultimate power of the gospel. And I'm just going to have us close here. I had some more stuff and some practical applications, which as you guys know is abnormal for me, right? But I don't think that's where we need to go. I think we too quickly want to go, oh, how do, we, how do we relate with the pilots in our lives? How do we relate? How do we be more like Jesus? No, right now we need to recognize that outside of his work on our behalf, we are Peter, Judas, Pilate. And in this moment, what I hope we will do is we will be led into a time of confession and repentance. Okay, we want to get to hands raised, joyful, Again, I always forget names and words of songs, right? We want to get to the easy stuff. But I think God wants us to sit in the ways that we have denied him, we've betrayed him, we've put him on trial. And as we always say, though, right, the time of assurance of grace is coming. We need to sit in that. But we also need to understand that the good news said he has not denied us. He has not betrayed us. In fact, he said he never will. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And while there is a day coming where we will stand trial, he's already gone before us. He's taken on our guilt. And then he's declared forgiven, raised from the dead, so that through him we can now participate in that. Okay, so I'm just going to pray right now and trust that the Spirit will lead each of us individually and us as a community, a church, a family, okay, to respond however we need to to Jesus' work on our behalf, our sin, our rebellion, and then the good news. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now um, I don't know where everyone is in this moment. I don't know where everyone's coming from throughout this week. Lord, I know some people desperately need to be encouraged. And uh, this hasn't been an overtly encouraging sermon. And yet, Lord, I just trust that we are all in your hands. Lord, Lord right now, we, we go into a time of response where um, we're, we're kind of like clay, like Play-Doh. Lord, I, I ask and trust that you will do a work in us individually and as a community, whatever you want to do. Lord, let us repent and grieve and confess. And then Lord, let us be so compelled to look to, cling to, long for the good news of Jesus, the cross and the empty tomb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.